It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to another edition of reliving the war the podcast where we go back and relive the monday night wars we do exactly what it says on the label my name is nims Azor, joined as always by simon tapler my tag team partner here on the gray wolf entertainment network and we are into a new slice of history in the wwf side of things as we look at in your house ground zero simon First off, welcome. And secondly, did it feel when you started watching this pay-per-view that this was going to be like a game-changer event? I mean, Canadian Stampede, we absolutely loved it. SummerSlam was actually quite a big thumbs up. So the WWF are coming off a run. This is their first three-hour in-your-house pay-per-view. Well, yeah, this kind of felt like, okay, we've established that things are changing. We've you know had a big show with Canadian Stampede, a big SummerSlam. This was like, okay, this is the first one of this new era. And I think it kind of did feel different. You know, it was the first three hour in your house. It was also the first time where the show's name was before in your house. This was ground Mm. zero in your house, not in your house, ground zero. zero, So things are changing. They're trying new things. The only part of me that felt like, oh, this is where they missed the mark for something that was big and, you know, the first of a new era, it was in such a small arena. Like yeah. when they first shot to the crowd in the Louisville Gardens, I know it's like a building with a lot of history, but it only fits 5,000 people. And the way it was lit, you could see how small it was. Another so, thing too was, well, sorry, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, so that kind of took away from it, you know, with the big dramatic intro and then you see the crowd, it made it feel small time. Another thing that really did make it small time to me, and I fully agree with you there, was the presentation went back to old school in your houses. Like the ring ropes were back to the three colors, the red, white, yeah. and blue. The the apron was back to the old World Wrestling Federation blue one. For the past two pay-per-views, we've sort of had an Attitude Era Raw-style red ropes. And like you said, the arena was small. Like it didn't have a second tier. Like you could actually see parts of the wall that's how small it was <laughs> yeah and you had that tiny little in your house set which is a classic but at the same time like it's a big pay-per-view this is the you're coming off a lot of momentum here like why sh- why feel like this is in your house beware of dog like, like there's not much to visually separate them yeah it felt like they had one foot in the future and one foot in the past and even on that in the intro video we mentioned that at SummerSlam, it was the final wwe appearance of todd pettingill I think the opening voiceover was Vince McMahon. So Mm -hmm. that made it feel really old school too. Like, you know, because welcome everyone to WrestleMania. Like, yeah, this was a real like turning point in a a weird way. It was like, don't tell me they're going to go backwards. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, and you're right. We, we'll touch on that because so Vince is doing the VO for the intro this time around, but uh, it's still a pretty good intro. It's just once you, and, and once you sort of take out the fact that it's Vince McMahon, this actually paints a very good picture of what the main event is going to be because it is Undertaker versus uh, Shawn Michaels for the first time ever. And in 1997, that is a big deal, but not to the big deal that we know it's going to be now. And all I can say is there are some stiff, stiff chair shots and whatnot that are happening in in pre-Attitude Era WWF. Yeah, it's almost shocking to see now because we know, you know, the the history of concussions and how dangerous it is. CTE, but seeing Shawn Michaels, because we see the match on Raw, it was Triple H and Shawn Michaels versus Mankind and Triple H. And Shawn Michaels cements his heel turn by smashing The Undertaker with some full-on chair shots to the head. I think he hits him with like five, and they are yeah. brutal. They are, and they, 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 they swing into the rafters. Like, this is like a full-on home run on Undertaker's head. And it, you can sort of see, especially we see now that, like, you know, there's that weird, oh, you know, things were so much tougher back then. No, no, they were a lot stupider back <laughs> yeah. then. Absolutely. Uh, look, we get to our first match, which is an interesting one to start. It's it's Goldust versus Brian Pillman. Now, the there's some stipulations to this match. If Brian Pillman wins, he gets Marlena services for 30 days. Think of that what you will. If Goldust wins, Brian Pillman is out of the WWF. Like, that's it. It's his career done and dusted. And this was a very – there was a lot more attitude era in this story than there is in anything else we've seen. Yeah, this felt like full Vince Russo, indecent proposal match. You've got a wife on the line. You've got Brian <laughs> Pillman saying that he's Dakota's real dad because him and Terry, you know, had a past before Goldust was with uh, Terry slash Marlena. So this is about as attitude as you can get. And and I guess that's what that's another stark contrast between the old in your house set, they're going back in time with the ropes, but then you open with a match like this. Mm. So Goldust isn't even in paint. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're in a real, real weird, like, okay, attitude era-esque time. Going back to just quickly touching on the little video packages, was that Michael Cole, a very young Michael Cole doing the VO there? It was. I thought that too. At first I was like, oh, I thought Todd was gone. But then I was like, nah, it's Michael Cole doing Michael a Cole. Todd Pettingill impression. <laughs> now, speaking of, we talk about like how this is very, very attitude era and Jerry Lawler's commentary. This was, so my partner, she was just doing whatever she does around the house. And the amount of time she sort of like turned her head, like, did he just say what I thought he did? Um, because there's some, there's some lines from Jerry Lawler. We often sort of say like, oh, 97 Jerry Lawler, pretty controversial in 2021. But even in 1997, I'm pretty sure some of these lines are, are pretty controversial. There is one that I made note of where Jerry Lawler says that Marlena, aka Terry Runnels, has been on more laps than a napkin. Yeah, I made note of that. I feel like we haven't heard him say that one before. That one, maybe that's why it was a one time only. He also said she's the proverbial good time that's been had by all. By all. <laughs> it's so, so awful. But yeah, that that aside, this is not your regular um, WWF opening match, especially it's it's such a stark contrast to what we expect in WCW compared to WWF. The crowd is absolutely hot for this match. Action spells to the outside. There's even some dueling chants at one point in time where people are saying Goldust sucks and then Pillman sucks. But this is, it, it, if you 
it's it's almost a really good match to show a couple of things. One, the change in sort of attitude, pardon the pun, and also that Dustin Runnels is being allowed to be more of a wrestler than early days of Goldust. Yeah, I actually really like this match because I didn't think much of their SummerSlam match. It was real kind of janky and it was short and it kind of fell apart. This was all action. I thought the brawling was really good. Like you mentioned, Goldust felt more like Dustin Reynolds here, you know, really fast paced. He was controlling the action a lot. Everything was, you know, energetic and the crowd's super into it. Pillman was really good too. Um, this isn't the same Pillman we saw years ago. He's not flying Brian anymore because of the injuries, but he mm-hmm. makes up for it with the personality and, you know, the attitude era style brawling. This felt like the matches that would be commonplace a year down the line with everyone else. But yeah, a lot of fun. I was surprised at how much I liked it. The ending was kind of fun too, because it was a callback to SummerSlam where Terry used the um, loaded purse. Um, mm-hmm. This time, Pillman's ready for it. He grabs the purse from Marlena and just clobbers Goldust with it. I thought it was good. And a really uncomfortable ending because the crowd was so into it and they knew the stakes. This is the good thing about a stipulation. When the ending happened, it wasn't just a boo for Pillman. It was an uncomfortable murmur. Like, oh, my God, he's stealing Marlena for 30 days. And their performance, too. She acted terrified, and Pillman acted like a straight-up psycho. Yeah. Oh, and not only the the rage from Goldust, too, when he realizes what's happened as well. It's And even the announcers, even with Jerry Lawler being so crass, and King and, sorry, and um, Vince, and JR sort of telling him, like, hey, mate, dial it back. There's a there's a kid that doesn't have a mother for 30 days, you know, things like that. Also, just talking about the ending, too. This is one of the, the better ref bumps that you will ever see. Like, what happens is Goldust goes to, does a curtain call, but inadvertently takes out Earl Hebner. So everything just flows so perfectly. The story's great. And you mentioned, yes, this ain't flying Brian anymore, but the loose cannon, in my opinion, is streets ahead. I think we've said this before. Good wrestling is always secondary to a really great story. Yeah, it's kind of sad with Pillman because, you know, the 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 way the story goes is that people would tell him, don't worry about your wrestling. You know, you can do everything else. You're still a great performer. But for him, he mm. still thought he needed to be that great athletic Pillman who can do, you know, uh, springboards and dives and arm drags and everything else. He didn't need to. Like, I know yeah. that's such a hard thing to, to say, but he was great on commentary too when they would put him on commentary. That wasn't enough for him either. But you watch this match in retrospect and you think, man, alongside Austin and Rock and Mick Foley and Taker and Shawn Michaels, like Pillman easily could have main evented through the Attitude Era. Yeah, uh, sadly, too, just to, uh, just to, not to put a downer on things, um, but this is also Pillman's last ever pay-per-view match. Uh, unfortunately, he, he would pass a couple of months later on. But um, as, as we move back to the match, so you touched on this briefly, uh, Simon. Pillman takes Marlena to the car, heads off. Goldust runs out, chases her. And I've written down, Kim, King is really something here. Goldust absolutely loses his mind in the locker room, but really emphasized the realness of uh, this angle. Yeah, and honestly, looking back at it, you could you could not do this today, not just no. the angle of a man owning another man's <laughs> wife or whatever, but also the way Jerry Lawler acts, where he's, like, complicit in the kidnapping of this woman and he's <laughs> excited to know what's going to happen to her, where he's like, yeah. I'm excited about what's going to happen in the car. And he's like, 
Pillman's the only man I know who can turn a car into a hotel room. Like, God damn. And, and at one point, Vince tells him, you yeah. know. Well, dial it back, yeah, right? Yeah, dial it back. Like, yeah, it gets uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, but it's a hell of a solid opener, and it, it's a real contrast to what WCW uh, brings to start off their matches. But a really, really good one that gets the crowd fired up. And then we get to our next match, which is Scott Putsky versus Brian Christopher. And two things that stood out first off was one, I completely forgot that Scott Putsky even existed. In fact, this was the first time I'm like, who the hell is Scott Putsky? Um, and secondly, I forgot about the whole shtick of Jerry Lawler denying that he's Brian Christopher's dad. Yeah, it was pretty funny because I remember watching this as a kid and not fully understanding yet why they would chant Jerry's kid and why they would say it. Like, I was like, he doesn't even have the same last name. That's not his son. Like, it took me a while to figure it out. But you, you look at it now. It is kind of a funny story like the i don't think they've ever done this before it would be like now if curtis axel showed up or bron breaker and they mm. were like oh he sure looks like rick steiner i don't know if it's yeah like, it's very weird to tiptoe around it but yeah i thought it was funny two second generation wrestlers here scott putsky <laughs> son of ivan putsky Scott Putsky really didn't work out there were just some second generation guys where it's like you look like a wrestler but you're not much of one. I've written down here that uh, Scott Putsky looks like the warrior's body with Chuck Palumbo's <laughs> head on top. <laughs> he really but, did um, have warrior's body. When he was face around and just doing like real crappy clubbing blows, it was very warrior-esque. Another weird one too is like, so something that I did notice was they're both referred to as light heavyweights mm. and <laughs> 215 pounds and under is considered a light heavyweight in the WWE. So just to put it in perspective, 205 and under is a cruiserweight. Yeah. An extra 10, that makes you a light heavyweight. That's just um, Vince McMahon because they're like, hey, Vince, we need smaller guys, a smaller division. And that's all he would like <laughs> give to. He's like, okay, 215. You know? I just like the idea that he's looking at, like he's got the two monitors like when he bought Nitro. Uh, it's just like one's WCW. It's just like got Rey Mysterio's like, mm -mm. then he sees Scott Putsky. Now oh, that's a cruiser. <laughs> that's the minimum for Vince. Yeah. Did you happen to notice too that there's some epic tans going all around here? <laughs> yeah, Brian Christopher was very, very tan, but Scott Putsky was mahogany. Like he put Hulk Hogan <laughs> on Road Wild to shame. This was like a leather jacket sitting in someone's car. <laughs> yeah. That's what it was. But um, yep. did you happen to notice? And I know this is going to, this sounds incredibly cruel and it's, we really should be focusing on the match, but there's so much happening that takes your attention away from it. Did you notice a lot of the crowd leaving and going to like the concession <laughs> stand? I didn't, but I don't blame them because after the last match, how hot it was, and then seeing Scott Putsky and Brian Christopher, they were having none of it. I, I got to say, though, like, I can't really remember much of two cools matches. Of course, Brian Christopher is Grandmaster Sexay. You don't mm -hmm. really remember his wrestling at all. You just remember the personality and how fun it yeah. was. T Brian Christopher was pretty good. He does a series of moves here. He hits like a skull-crushing finale, a German suplex, a cool drop kick, a dive over the ropes. And I was like, okay, he was pretty good. Scott Putsky did nothing. Yeah, Scott Putsky was just absolute garbage. And um, Brian Christopher later took the name Brian Lawler when he was in the early years of TNA. And it was actually very, very, where they really like turned into the skit of, no, 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 I am. Look, we all know that I'm Brian Lawler. <laughs> Might as well just stick with it. But um, what, I, what I did find funny was 
there was like a, a side-by-side shot of Brian Christopher and Jerry Lawler. And Jerry Lawler's like, look, there's not even any resemblance. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but you're right. There are some pretty good moves here. Brian Lawler actually is a very good wrestler. If he was, you can maybe see why they were trying to distance him from Jerry Lawler yeah. uh, a little bit here. But it, it all goes absolutely pear-shaped with a splash to the outside from Brian Christopher onto Scott Putsky. And Putsky must have maybe he lands awkwardly or his knee jars out because he is done. Absolutely done. He's just on the floor, clutching his knee. Uh, the match ends via count out. You can even see in Scott Putsky's face that he's like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I've ruined everything. Yeah. It's, it's not that Scott Putsky did the dive to the outside. Brian Christopher dove Christopher. on him and Putsky's knee was just like, nah, I've had it. This was also the last match from Scott Putsky in WWE. He would recover and just get fired. But I Googled him. I wanted to know what happened to him. He had like a short stint in WCW as a jobber. But most mm-hmm. notably, he wrestled in Mexico as Conan 2000, which is so good. Oh, my God. That's ridiculous. So, Do you mean like as in like Conan the Barbarian? No, as in Conan, Bowdy, Bowdy, Rowdy, Rowdy from WCW. That doesn't even make any sense no. because, like, I could kind of see, I could see if, I could see if he like has like you know a futuristic Conan the Barbarian because he's got the hair, he's got the look. He looks nothing like Conan. Well, Conan in Mexico used to wear a mask, so they just put oh, a mask on Scott Putsky, and maybe they were like, "Look at the amazing shape Conan's in now for oh the new millennium." God. That's like uh, when Jericho was super Liger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, obviously to pad some time because this is not how the match is meant to go. Jerry Lawler gets in the ring and then absolutely berates Scott Putsky <laughs> as he gets stretched out. It's such an odd match. Mm, what a way to go out for, for old Scott Putsky. A very, very strange one. Unfortunately, it sort of sucks the life out of the crowd just a little bit. And this is one of those, it's one of the first matches where I was thinking, maybe three-hour pay-per-views weren't a great idea at this point <laughs> yeah, in time, WWE. Maybe you're not ready for it. <laughs> uh, we then get to the next uh, match, which is, first off, it's got a little highlights package of the Gang Warfare Faction Action, which is said about three <laughs> times. And what I liked about that Faction Action line is, it's almost like, so Vince says it, and then Jim Ross picks up on it and sort of like does a, that's a pretty good line, Vince, but doesn't actually outwardly say that. Mm. And then he keeps saying it because it's almost like, if I say it, the boss will like me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, did you notice too, so Farouk cuts a promo out in the street because that's what the nation's about, the streets. In mm. fact, he says that in the promo. <laughs> but how awkward The Rock. Was, so he's still, he's still Rocky Maivia here. Yeah. But um, as in by name, he's still Rocky Maivia. He hasn't yet referred to himself as The Rock. Added to, he's just so bland. Yeah, but this, so basically on the last pay-per-view though, we saw Ahmed Johnson, part of the nation. Ahmed got injured again, which is probably <laughs> the fifth time we've had to say that in a year. Ahmed is injured again and they just give up on him. They're like, forget Ahmed Johnson. We'll do Dw- Dwayne Johnson. We'll put him yeah. in the nation and we're off to the races. To be fair, though, like I know he looked like he didn't fit yet, but seeing that shot of the nation where it was Farouk, Karma, D'Lo, and The Rock, this is the nation. That and felt I, right. What's weird about it, they only have a run that lasts about a year because by the end of 98, they're, you know, 
kind of they're done. Not, they're not even, it doesn't even get to, because by Survivor Series 90, 98, yeah. the Deadly Game Tournament, The Rock's already on his own. Like it's It lasts, I think, less, probably a year at most. Yeah. We'll give it a year because Rock fights Triple H at SummerSlam 98, spoiler alert. Mm. But <laughs> that's kind of yeah. the last hurrah of the nation in the classic form. But yeah, the classic version is only a year. Yeah. Um, Owen Hart gets added to the uh, the nation a little bit later on, which is just bizarre, but we'll get to that uh, when we get to that. But um, mm. did, did you feel that Savio Vega looked like he was cosplaying as uh, Conan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He didn't, <laughs> like, he old Savio Vega made more sense. Los Bariquas Savio just, yeah, feels like you're acting like a gangster. Conan felt natural when he turned into that. For Savio, mm. it, it's not the same. We talk about the odd fit of Owen Hart and the Nation. Savio Vega in Los Bariquas <laughs> is that sort of thing, which is weird since it's his faction. And then, of course, we had my personal favorite, Crush, in Crush in DOA, doing promos. is so stilted and wooden; it's ridiculous. Yeah, you almost, you almost, when he does his promos, you can sort of see why. The majority of his career just had him doing the arms together, <laughs> cranium crush kind of thing. What's insane about Crush here? He's got a new gimmick because he's in the DOA. He's the leader of a biker gang. At this point in 97, this guy has been part of Demolition, mm-hmm. Kona Crush. Then he was Crush in the nation. And now he's Crush the biker. Why wouldn't they give up on this guy? There are just yeah. some guys who you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, just stop it. And then later on, of course, he goes to be uh, Brian Adams. Um, member of the New World Order. Yep. And then, and then, probably the best part is in retrospect, people only like people have this weird nostalgia of uh, of Brian Adams, just like oh, you know, he was in Chronic. That was a really cool <laughs> tag team in WCW. Yeah. And then he was Crush. You know, he was Crush in WWE. And then it's like, no, no, no. There's a whole bunch of absolute garbage <laughs> yeah, in between so those two things. <laughs> yeah, and then, to me, this match, like, this was one of the... This, I think this is the first triple threat match on pay-per-view. I was just about to say that because they put the rules up and everything. Yeah. What were they thinking? The three guys that were like, we've got this <laughs> awesome new match that, you know, we stole from other companies and we're going to do it with Farouk, Crush, and Savio Vega. To me, this feud is the new smoking guns versus the Godwin. I don't want to <laughs> yes. see it ever again. And two things that pop up that popped up here. First off, the understatement of the pay-per-view is Vince McMahon saying, not a lot of Puerto Ricans here in Kentucky. <laughs> um, there seemed to be... Now, Crush, when Crush came out, I thought that it seemed like there was a lot of piped in cheers because mm-hmm. the crowd really looked mild for this match. But um, one thing that they did cheer and it did make me a little bit uncomfortable when Crush started whipping Farouk with the belt. <laughs> yeah, As a note to Crush whipping Farouk in Kentucky got a big pop and that's definitely something like, ooh. Yeah, it's it's just a little bit of the, but yeah, I've, I've got it written. So uh, first triple threat, question mark, but you're right. It's an, this is an awful match. This com- combined with Scott Putsky made me really, really <laughs> yeah. go. They are not ready for three-hour pay-per-views, but it's an awful match. There are botches of go-go. <laughs> the ending itself, it is the worst spike pile driver you will ever see. Forget that. When you said there were botches, one of the all-time greatest botches ever, Savio Vega goes to do a spinning neckbreaker on Farouk, and I've never seen this in my life. 
Savio swung one way, but Farouk swung the other. <laughs> they both just... took a bump the opposite way. And the crowd, even in 97 in the WWE, was like, that didn't That's not work right. the way you wanted to. And they booed it. It was so good. It is the worst triple threat match. And, you know, you can't, there is just no chemistry between these three men. <laughs> Crush is, is, is like one of those Hasbro action figures just sort of stilting around. Savio Vega, bless his heart, is trying, to, is trying to do a lot of the heavy lifting. And Farouk is just, you know, he's, he's doing the, the strong silent type gimmick, which doesn't work in a triple threat match. It's just awful, awful match. And, the ending, as I said, so it's the worst spike tr- pile driver ever. Mm. Crush then does the heart punch, and Sabio Vega wins with a spinning heel kick <laughs> to the back of the head yeah. and a pin, and that's it. <laughs> the least exciting triple threat ending ever, a punch to the chest, and then a and spinning a kick. heel kick. Not even yeah. a good one. And then he just gets the pin. JR, though, had the line of the night in this match. He's like, this is almost like a three-man battle royal. It's also like a singles match with a third guy. Like, it's not a battle royal. <laughs> anyway. It was just crazy. It was just this. And sadly, um, because we've got, remember, because Survivor Series is all about the gang wars, we've yeah. still got another couple of months before we end this awful, awful uh, faction action. Um, we then get to a quick ad for, because Stone Cold said so, a little VHS that you can order via mail order. Um, it's your stock standard thing, but the one thing I did notice was the number was still active. Not active, really? person, but but no, no. Well, it's not active. But normally but they, they cover it up. They cover it up. Yeah. Did you it's call normal. it? Order no, I didn't. VHS of Stone Cold Center. <laughs> what a great ad, though. So the commercial, it's just a compilation of segments with Steve Austin in it. But the commercial is like he won't be silenced. He can't be censored. And the voiceover guy gets beat because he's like stone cold doesn't give a sh and then they beat yeah, it and then it's, it like, yeah. it's like and you can also not give it beep to and it's just like it is it's a really really good thing and they they it does the sort of jump cuts to the make it seem like this is fantastic this is just gonna be what like 30 minutes of it's gonna be like three hours of him just like swearing at people and punching them in the head so uh, yeah and it's like here's what they wouldn't show you on tv so it was like extended edits of segments did you ever get that video my video shop had it i actually have that I oh dear that's have, awesome if if we go to my parents uh, some I'll, uh, I'll i'll put a photo up but i've actually got that vhs um actually no 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 sorry i tell a lie I've actually got the Austin versus McMahon yeah, VHS because okay. there was two. Yep. And I think the Austin versus McMahon was a, was a bit more common around here. You know, the one where the front cover is just, it's the one where Austin's like in, in the, the ropes. Box, in the ropes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're face to face. WWE put out these videos for a few years where they weren't pay-per-views. They weren't biographies. They were like sort of short compilation videotapes. They were common in the Hogan era. And then they stopped doing them through the new generation. But then they brought them back in the Attitude Era where it focused on a guy. And, you know, you get, like, the best of. And I remember, mm. like, seeing them in Target and Kmart in the Attitude Era, and that blew my mind. It was like, oh, my God, is wrestling popular now? Like, yeah. we, I bought the Three Faces of Foley video around the same era, like, a little bit later. So, yeah, it was cool to see that WWE was getting so popular that these tapes were now just being sold in normal stores. So you had the three faces of Foley. You'll know what other videos in the lineup that there was there. Sable Unleashed. I, Sable Unleashed. And I've got remember, that one somewhere. But, but do you remember also there was another one, the best of WrestleMania 1 to 14? 
No, that's cool. Oh, that one. I've, I've got that one, which I still remember buying on VHS and I've still got that at home. And you're right. They, you know, you'd have like the best of Raw or um, there was another one. There was just like, it was just almost like anything that could throw into a VHS, they would because they realized just how popular they were. It was like, quick, just put that, just call that the attitude. Just <laughs> yeah. WWF attitude. Yeah. Bam, there it is. Done. Those best of Raw tapes were great though. I remember getting them in like 98, 99, 2000 because I didn't have Foxtel and just seeing them put together in like a two hour or three hour tape. So cool. Any listeners that might not have lived through the attitude era, it's sort of re- like when you go back and sort of think like, why did they get so fired up about say, you know, um, the ministry um, stone cold breaking up the dark wedding. Why did that, why was that so popular? Because like that was the one that was on all those compilation yeah, tapes. You're right. And that's the right. one that we would watch over and <laughs> over and over as kids. Yeah, that's true. Because the thing is now when they do like a best of raw SmackDown, it's just matches because the segments aren't as important, like I suppose. Yeah. In this, yeah. yeah. But back then, yeah, the videotape would be Austin at the wedding, uh, you know, the Undertaker burning the teddy bear, and we're like spoiling yeah. things in the future. <laughs> the, the you know the higher power, just things like that, and we quote them because we watch these tapes a million times. My favorite thing about that entire scenario is um, it's JR going. He didn't do it because he likes Vince McMahon. <laughs> he did it because it was the right thing. <laughs> what a segment, though! Like I watched it back a few months ago when I was watching episodes of Raw. The ovation from the crowd to Steve Austin breaking up a wedding and saving Vince's daughter. It's just mind-blowing. It also has the the subtext of, you know, if you see a dark wedding, it is your civic duty to break it up. <laughs> Even if you hate the daughter of the, the, the father of the daughter being married, you'd you break it up. You must do it because it is the right thing. But uh, let's get back to the pay-per-view because we get to one of those little, not a fluff piece per se, but uh, they cut to the USA boxing team in the crowd. Yay. Didn't know <laughs> who they were. There was there was like, and I love these little slices of pop culture, I guess you could call it. Well, just culture, because it's, I wouldn't say it's popular. But um they look like they were stoked to be there, which is kind of cool. Hmm. I know I keep repeating myself, but I don't think WWE at the time was ready to go to two hour uh, to three hour pay-per-views for uh, for the non big five uh, big four shows because now we have El Torito versus Max Mini. Now, this El Torito, I did a bit of research here because I was like, El Torito? It's, no, it's not that El Torito. This is Mario <laughs> Perez Jimenez, who passed away, sadly, in 2014. But it's not the same uh, one that was with Los Matadors, that El Torito, who became, in, you know, in the WLC match with um, Hornswoggle, et cetera, et cetera. I thought that, too, that they reused <laughs> the El Torito name, which is really weird to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's bizarre too, but it, it's actually very easy to Google because it's El Torito WWF and El Torito WWE. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> two two separate it. entries. And actually, <laughs> Google suggested it, so I'm clearly not the only one that did that. <laughs> um. Yeah. Look, this is a. Uh, it's an. Oh, why is this on? Why is this on pay per view? <laughs> I don't know. The, I kept thinking, like, two guys who weren't on this pay per view: Steve Austin and Mick Foley. That's two guys who would normally like carry a great match on a mm. show that we would watch. Bulldog and Owen are sadly put in a, a four-way match later on. And because there's four teams in that match, that again splits up where, you know, another two yeah. reliable guys are. So because certain guys just weren't on the show, yeah, we're stuck with Al Torito versus Max Mini. To be fair, Max Mini was like the Rey Mysterio of the Minis. 
he yeah. was amazing. Like some of the moves, very he did. good charisma, good charisma too. Like there's yeah. a bit where he sort of has a bit of shenanigans with Jerry Lawler, like taking his crown. And to be fair, he's he's very lap. over. Yeah. Oh, the crowd very loved over. Max Mini. Mm. To me, Max Mini, if he existed in 2021, like he would be wrestling on PWG and he'd be like <laughs> an indie favorite because some of the moves he was doing were very, very impressive. Yeah, look, it, this it was what it was. Um, Max Mini gets the win. It's it's just something that I I I reckon the like you could find so many other guys in the roster that could have done it. Maybe put a Ken Shamrock match in there. Yeah, Shamrock was, as well. He's not on the show. And Vader, not, it was heaps of guys so, aren't on the show. What were they thinking? But, well, Vader was clearly there because we see him later <laughs> on. Exactly, you're right. <laughs> so oh, look, it's 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 strange, but look, it it is what it is. Uh, we then get to a recap of Austin's injury and mm. Commissioner Sergeant Slaughter is still one of my favorite things because he's so stilted and awkward. Like, it's the, it's he's really he's weird. the worst what, authority figure. Yeah, watching Sergeant Slaughter back as an authority figure, it's weird because back in his heyday in the 80s and early 90s, he was like known for being a talker and this great promo, really intense. As an authority figure, yeah, we see him doing a little video stripping Austin of his tag title because of his injury. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible. It's like a hostage video. Like he's just reading yeah. lines at gunpoint. Um, it's just not good. He makes those Jack Tunney vignettes look like he was the most charismatic president on the planet. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, because of that, because of obvi- uh, obviously because of Austin's injury last month, we've got to strip the title off him. Um, so Sergeant Slaughter then comes out to, you know, get the, the belts off Dude Love and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, Dude Love is fully Dude Love here. He comes out in the full Dude gimmick. And th- there's a great line there that I absolutely love. With a heavy heart and a pained pancreas, I relinquish my side of the title. Then Austin comes out and the place goes nuclear. Yeah, this is basically when the out. show starts. Like this segment might yeah. as well have been the start of the show. They lose their minds for Steve Austin. We mentioned at SummerSlam where it felt like, okay, he's 100% a face now. They continue it here. Like he is the man. We saw his videotape commercial. It's Austin all the way now. It's the famous Austin 316 shirt as well the, with the skull on the back. It's, I think it's the first time we've seen it because obviously he's really? had matches. Before. I th- oh, well, yeah, I think him wearing it. Him wearing yeah. it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because um, because we've only seen him in matches because he's he always did a run-in or stuff like that. And any backstage he had, he was always just in jeans and no shirt, just the vest. Mm. So this, I love casual Austin. This is basically <laughs> just... Jean shorts and the Austin 316 t-shirt, but he kept it simple. Did the did the pose on the turnbuckles, which is so cool. And a very, very good promo by Austin. So good. Oh, it was so awesome. This was like classic Austin because he's angry. When he's actually angry, you, you're going to get the best Austin promo. He's just so annoyed that he has to give up the titles. He doesn't think he should because he's tough enough to keep wrestling. And then at one point, he's holding the tag belt in front of Slaughter, already has Dude Love's belt, and Austin throws it at his feet and is like, you pick it up. And then he's like, why don't you drop down and give me 20? And he's just (laughs) giving it to Slaughter. It's so good. Slaughter just standing there and taking it too as... (laughs) Austin reuses some of his old school eighties catchphrases yeah. is the best thing ever. And then JR cops a stunner too. A he stunner stuns out of nowhere. His hat off. Yeah. It is so good. It's such a great segment. The crowd just laps it all up. Cause this is one of the first times that Austin just comes out and just randomly stuns people. 
Yeah, exactly. And and this is the and what's funny, Austin was over, but him being forced to not wrestle for this like month and a half or two months gets him even more over. So he's mm. given up the belt. He's talked back to Slaughter. He's stunned JR. He stuns Vince McMahon next at Madison mm. Square Garden because he then has to, you know, relinquish the Intercontinental Championship because he's a double champ right now. Yeah. So, yeah, Austin getting injured, it's the weirdest double-edged sword ever. Leads to him doing things he wouldn't have done if he wasn't injured, but at the same time, obviously, he's injured and it changes his career and life. And absolutely, absolutely catapults his personality because... And and very smart by the WWE keeping him around on TV yep. because they literally it's it's teasing Austin with a, it's like it's like going to a hungry man here leave this lovely dinner don't touch a bite of it yeah <laughs> but yeah really what, really good what's interesting too we would never see this if it happened now if a guy got that type of injury they wouldn't say oh we'll keep you on TV but you just won't wrestle you'll just hit your finisher they yeah. wouldn't take that risk anymore so it was a one off lightning in a bottle moment and it all just worked. Yeah, correct. It was just like a right place, right time, even though I'm sure Austin would hate to say that him getting his neck broken is right place, right time. But we then cut to a backstage bit. It's Doc Hendricks interviewing Owen Bulldog. Owen says, (laughs) indignant Owen Hart is one of my favorite Owen Hart. He's saying stuff like, Austin should be jailed. That's assault. He's like, it's the best promo too. And Bulldog, I don't know what about what it is about though, these Owen Bulldog promos because Owen's so out there and larger than life and bulldog just seems so subdued in comparison but if that was bulldog on his own it would be like oh geez come on dollars back man yeah i've noticed that with bulldog because we see him later do a promo with brett and we've seen him do promos with other people basically the whole time we've been doing the show hmm. it's it's weird he's never as fired up as the people he's with like he's always fine he's definitely not bad at all but yeah it's just something it's almost like he needs their energy to feed off yeah, yeah, exactly. And but, also, um, Owen Hart, I noticed in this promo, and I love Owen Hart. I think he's amazing. But I'm starting to notice things with him that I like, not that they held him back, but I think they're the things that separated him and Brett. Brett was mm-hmm. so serious. Everything is 100% legit. Every promo is this is what Brett Hart thinks, whether you think it's the character or the man. Owen Hart, there's always a slight wink that mm. like this is all bullcrap <laughs> like i'm having fun and it yeah. always comes through especially when he's a heel which was most of the time where you're like uh he's obviously he's got that cheekiness yeah, yeah yeah and i yeah. wonder if that held him back just slightly because and, and it's a good thing because i appreciate owen hart because he seemed like he knew he was so good at it arguably better than anyone at the physicality of wrestling, but he also mm. didn't care as much yeah. as people would think he would, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's spot on there because Owen's always sort of like in the ring, him and Brett, there's Brett, it's it's like a hair can separate him because you go either way, it doesn't make a difference. Correct. But definitely you're right when it comes to the promo, things like that. Brett just seemed more main event. He seemed yeah. more big time. Owen just sort of seemed like, don't get me wrong, Owen has main evented pay-per-views um, and main evented Raws and live events, things like that. He's a king of the ring for crying out loud. But even Brett's king of the ring and Owen's king of the ring, are, 
it's the best sort of way to do it. Yeah, it's you're the best right. Way to sort of compare him. Yeah, where, where Bret Hart thinks he's really become a king. You think yeah. this guy thinks he's actually king, whereas Owen Hart, there's still that little bit of I'm taking the piss. You know, yeah, it's the I'm the king, <laughs> yeah. Woo! you know that kind of thing. And so. we love him because of it, but it's also <laughs> yeah, like the that thing. It could could be seen as like. In- pigeonholed in that role but um we then get back to the commentary booth where it's just <laughs> a king and vince mcmahon oh, the, the the bit that i popped at was <laughs> vince calling steve austin a jackass yeah he's like ladies and gentlemen uh, that man he might be a great performer but he's a jackass and yeah, yeah he, we're, we're protecting him from himself like just vince <laughs> being super corporate it's pretty good they just it's the and best he throws down his you know those tiny vince mcmahon reading glasses yeah as to the drama because he throws them down as this guy's like ladies and gentlemen that man is a jackass like it's just so well done too um then we get to the fatal four-way this is for and this must be the first fatal four-way tag match too because that little rules card pops up again um, we get it. It's between the headbangers, the Godwins. Jeez, we could just we can't shake <laughs> off these bloody Godwins. Uh, Bulldog and Owen and LOD. Now, the Godwins in a really interesting line. I think it's Midian that says it. The Godwins promise to kick their asses out of their asses or something like that. <laughs> really? No, they're gonna kick. The, I'm gonna, they're gonna, we're gonna kick their asses out. It's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> and then they just cut real quick. They're like, that's the yeah. end of that promo. LOD has their little shouty promo again. No idea what Animal is saying as well, except that he hates the slop bucket I from didn't, uh, the Godwins. Yeah, I didn't pick up anything they were saying. <laughs> Just Animal yelling sounds, and then Hawk said, well, and then yelled some other sounds. I couldn't yeah. pick out anything. It was just blah, 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 slop bucket, blah, 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 blah bucket, blah, blah, because <laughs> And because they said bucket so quickly, I'm just like, surely they didn't just say what I <laughs> yeah. thought they did. It was only after a couple of repeated, because that's the only thing you can decipher. <laughs> yeah. Then we, um yeah, so we get the Fatal 4A rules card and the crowd. Is it just me or like considering the teams are in this? So you got the Godwins. Now, these are the Attitude Era Godwins, so they're a little bit less fun in games. Bulldog and Owen, who must have really drew the look, we'll be in this match, but we don't want to be a part of this match. Yeah. Uh, LOD, who were doing a lot of the heavy lifting and just seemed to be in this match for a chance to stiff the Godwins <laughs> and the headbangers. Yeah. <laughs> who were just, we're just doing there. headbanger things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah the crowd, it's just. It's the crowd doesn't seem to be into this match and it's really slow and plodding and it just seems to go for about three hours. It's also an elimination match, so it feels like it's going to go longer than it is anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the crowd could get into it. Not that, oh, it's so hard to understand a four-way no. tag match. It's just boring. They it, didn't it have the be- formula yet of what to do in a triple threat match or what to do in a multi-team tag match. Like, Nothing was set yet, and these aren't the teams to to make it exciting. And especially when you've got the two best workers in there. So the best team in there is probably Bulldog and Owen, and they do very little in this match. The match, I will give it credit, it does pick up when it's the headbangers and Owen and Bulldog. That part, I reckon, people Hmm. sort of... And maybe it's because they realize, oh, look, we're we're down to a tag match now. We get this. This stuff, like, this is a formula that's tried and true with... Two guys, is in Owen and Bulldog, that know how to do this. They can mm. probably do a tag match in their sleep. And because it's, I guess you'd say it's a fresh matchup too, because the headbangers are very relatively new onto the scene. But so you actually get a really good last into the match. 
And then you get the Austin run-in where he stuns Owen, which gives the headbangers the win. Massive pop. Absolutely huge pop. Yeah, thank God for Steve Austin here. When he comes out and gives Owen a stunner without the kick too, it was really cool. Owen turned around from a move and he was sort of bending over already. So Austin just grabs him by the neck. And it's almost an RKO out of nowhere kind of thing. Yeah, it was sort of out of nowhere and the crowd just loses it. And honestly, the end sequence was really fun. The crowd was into it. And the Headbangers won the world tag titles. I don't remember the Headbangers ever being champs, but the crowd loved it. And then they jumped into the crowd. They mm-hmm. partied with the crowd. And it was kind of a good moment. Like the last five minutes of this were fun. It's funny that you mentioned not remembering the headbangers being WWF tag team champions because I can remember them being tag team champions, but not from this match because oh. every time there was a headbangers match, they always mentioned the, ta- the headbangers <laughs> are w- former WWF tag team champs in all of their matches. But yeah. it's just like, hey, well, I guess, guess they were. <laughs> now you know when it happened. It was like in the um, late 80s WWE when they rotated the belts through everyone and mm. you wouldn't even see someone with the belts on a pay-per-view, but on another pay-per-view, they'll be like, the fabulous Rougeaus, former tag champs. And you're like, were they? Okay, I guess they won it. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. It's like, Everyone won Jim, it. Surely Jim Cornette's not going to lie to me. <laughs> yeah. The headbangers must have been that tag team champion. Why would he say that? There was one cool. sign I noticed during this match. A guy walked past. There were some good signs on the show. He walked mm. past. I won't say the words. I'll spell it out the way it was written. It was H-B-K-S-U-X-D-I-X. And I was like... <laughs> Very 1997, but the way it was written, it was a very funny visual. <laughs> oh my god, that's so, uh, you're right. There, the sign game is pretty good. Did you notice too in the top right, top right? So where the the top right ring post is, there was a guy that, that seemed to have rotating signs, like each giant match would be sign. Different- yeah, yeah. It was like really well produced. He he had it during Pillman and Goldust. It said like 30 days with Marlena. Yeah. You know, no, 30 days on. Pillman's trophy shelf or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, he had lots of creative signs. But each different match had a different sign. So he went to a lot of effort there. And they were very well done signs. Mm. Um, but yeah, so then, as you, as you mentioned, the headbangers celebrate with the fans to the point where they go on like the concession stand and things like that. So it's a really, really cool little celebration. Really adds to the moment. Then we cut to JR backstage with Sergeant Slaughter. And JR is cussing <laughs> like a sailor here. It is... It's brilliant. <laughs> this was good. JR with an ice pack on his neck from the stunner. They're trying to talk to him. And he's so angry at Austin. He's like, I know the fans <laughs> love him, but my God, that son of a bitch. And then he says, <laughs> he's like, oh, the crowd, they love 316, 316, this and that. They can kiss my 316 ass. <laughs> like, <laughs> JR's such he, a tough guy when he's angry. It's great. He genuinely seems like he's just <laughs> absolutely PO'd here. It's it's great. It is, and Sergeant Slaughter again, an absolute vacuum for charisma. He's like, we understand, Jr. We get it. He's like, he's like, and it doesn't match Jr. You feel, almost feel like Jr. is getting more annoyed at the karma that Sergeant Slaughter is. But what happened to Sergeant Slaughter? He was so energetic when he was Sergeant Slaughter. Commissioner mm. Slaughter is, yeah, basically in a walking coma. <laughs> Also, we have to talk about Sergeant Slaughter because this is the first time we're seeing him on the show. Nothing Mm. is funnier to me than finding out in the modern era that he was never in the army and it was all made up. (laughs) Like when I found that out, that blew my mind because he hung on to it and was always like, 
yeah, before I trained as a wrestler, I was in the Marine Corps and, you know, I was like a drill sergeant. He wasn't. He made the whole thing up and lived the gimmick for 30 years. It's insane. To the point, to the point, there's actually G.I. Joe figures of Sergeant Slaughter. Like, he's blended over into another universe. He would do shoot interviews at radio stations wearing, like, medals and stuff. And he's like, I was in the service. No, you weren't. (laughs) crazy anyway uh that's absolutely crazy although while we're talking about sergeant slaughter i'd need to like when he sort of reclaims when he sort of denounces iraq and comes back (laughs) to america he's one of the best cheesiest promos ever and the it just goes to show too like crowds like yeah we know that you were sympathizing with saddam hussein for a couple of years but God damn it, you just miss America so much. We gotta cheer. Yeah, I want my country back. Yeah, back. It's great. It's good. <laughs> um, look, we then speaking of speaking of uh, <laughs> uh, the stars and stripes, we then get to a hype package for the Patriot, which shows a lot of football highlights. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's, it's, and I didn't even write the name down of the uh, that former footballer who's just walking around. And then there's that weird jump cut where it's like him multiple times in there. <laughs> Like he, like he's like, like he's Jason Voorhees, just appearing randomly on the uh, on the football field, and it's from behind. But then, so we're talking about the Patriot here, who wore a mask. But in this video package, it's him without a mask, and he turns to the camera, and you just see his face a bunch of times. Yeah, they say his name about twenty <laughs> times, like Del Wilkes, the Patriot. Del Wilkes, yeah. he was a great footballer. And there's, I love how they try to shoehorn patriotism into his time in Japan, which is like, <laughs> yeah. well, when I was in Japan, I just realized you're really patriotic too. And we're patriotic and <laughs> we we're just all patriotic. And just like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah, it was really, it was also weird because not only did they go through his football history, but they went through his success in Japan. Normally we don't see that from the WWE, especially not in a video package. And, you know, there's footage, yeah, footage of Japan. And um, who was he? Japanese, Jimmy Suzuki, Jimmy Suzuki Japanese wrestling um, journalist or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Japanese Dave Meltzer gave his take and he put over the Patriots. was like, he's really, really good. I've just written down. It's a really odd video package and it's so strange, but um. Uh, then we get we get Sonny backstage with the Patriot. This is an absolute awful promo. It's just <laughs> awful. Yeah, I wrote so his awful. promo even in 97 feels outdated. <laughs> like watching yeah. it in 2021. Not good. It is it is so bad. And um so then we get to the Patriot versus Bret Hart. One thing that I did notice. So the Patriot comes out to Kurt Angle's theme. Now, this is where it gets we go into the weeds here because even though he had that theme first, I've written down, it will always be Kurt Angle's theme. <laughs> it's Kurt Angle's theme. I wrote the same thing. I said, Patriot comes out to metal, which feels wrong watching it back. What a song, though. Like, it is one of the best theme songs ever. And Patriot had a short run. They pushed him. He's in the main, you know, one of the main events here, wrestling for the world title on his first pay-per-view, which is huge. But Crazy. when he goes the way, goes away, obviously they had this song and they knew if there's ever another American guy, we've got to use it because it's so good. Like even here, it's epic. It feels like a main event is music. But then in my head, what's weird too, I'm hearing you suck. Like it just yeah. feels like it's there in the crowd. It just feels like this is what's like, what's going It's like someone's gone through uh, WrestleMania 2000, the video game and swapped music over and create a wrestler. Like it just <laughs> yeah. does not fit him at all. One thing that I do have to mention, Michael Cole has to say with a straight face, this is Bret Hart's toughest challenge. <laughs> I know. They put over the Patriot big time again. 
world title match, first pay-per-view, but definitely not Brett's biggest challenge. Definitely not. And Bret Hart comes out to a chorus of boos and Brett just looks like he just wants this over and done with. Brett did a promo before the match, though. This, this is like a classic Bret Hart thing we're learning where he'll do a promo, his music will hit, and then he walks straight out. It is pretty cool. I wish mm. they did this more in the modern times because he doesn't have to say a lot. He says, I'm going to enjoy kicking the crap out of this guy. And then he just walks yeah. out. It's good. It's And... Uh, Something that I found really odd was, did you notice that King seemed to be oddly more complimentary on commentary towards Bret Hart? Like, he's throwing in actual facts and, like, he's not doing his usual insults. He's mentioning the the history of Bret Hart and all that sort of stuff. It just caught me by surprise. Well, I guess that's, that's the fun thing about Jerry Lawler being a heel. He has to now be a hypocrite and take Bret's side, even though he hated Bret for years. You know, and he even mentions which high school Brett went to and just all these, yeah, weird JR style facts. It's it's pretty it's pretty uh, mental what what happens in this match too, because like it's 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 such a nothing match in the grand scheme of things too. And Bulldog and Vader do come out a little bit later for some shenanigans here. And it's just at the time, this was probably a really big like you know, this is a this is a selling point. Bret Hart, surely the guy that hates America is going to just get completely like obliterated by the patriot because he's patriotic. This is what happens. Mm. But no, it's just it's just a nothing match. I'll tell. I will say, it, I thought it was a nothing match when it started. Like the wrestling was fine. Obviously, Bret's Bret. Patriot wasn't too bad, but it gets exciting when they start brawling. So. Brett does his figure four on the corner post from the outside and the crowd pops. A staple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then when Bulldog comes out, the crowd wakes up because they're like, okay, maybe there's something to this. And then Austin comes out to beat up Bulldog. Then the match does kick into another gear. It does get pretty exciting because then we get Vader out. He gets a big pop. But while the shenanigans are happening, there's near falls happening in the ring. So mm. Patriot hits his finisher which I, for- slam. <laughs> I forgot the name of it, Uncle Slam, which is so good. That feels like that should have been his name, Uncle Slam. But it's anyway, a good move too. That's great. Yeah, he does like the full <laughs> Nelson Slam, but he hits a really big one. So mm. he gets a near fall because Bulldog breaks it up. Then Vader comes out and then Vader beats up Brett. He like throws him into the steps. I thought it was going to be a DQ, but the ref lets it go. And then honestly, that's when the match kicks into gear, I thought. So we get some nice kickouts and reversals. It, it wasn't too bad at the end. Yeah, look, and weirdly too, um, the Patriot puts Bret Hart into the sharpshooter to try and finish the match, but Bret then reverses it and the Patriot taps out. Look, uh, the- now I, I, I can't remember the Patriot's run too good, but did, at any point in time, did he ever use anything aside from the Uncle Slam to finish matches? They kept saying he had the Patriot missile, which I didn't know what it was, but I assume it was the top rope shoulder block, which he did hit mm-hmm. at one point. The sharpshooter, I don't know why he went for it, but I thought it was such a funny ending. It was really cool how they went from sharpshooter to sharpshooter, because if anyone knows how to reverse it, obviously it's Brett. But what's funny, Patriot, the crowd is losing it. They're going crazy. They want Patriot to get out of it. He gets one inch from the ropes and he's there for about 30 seconds. For some reason, he can't reach it and he gives up. So much for your Patriot. What a loser. (laughs) 
you couldn't reach the rope. You were right there. I thought it was made him look like an idiot. So I've I completely forgot to get a prop because I I went and got I have the Bret Hart DVD, the one from two thousand and five, the three disc. Now this has got nine hours of content <laughs> on it. That's how how big the DVD is. I'm going through the matches, there is everything from. The match of the Hart Foundation versus the Killer Bees. There's Bret Hart versus Ricky Steamboat. Bret Hart versus Ted DiBiase. Uh, the famous match, Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect. You also have Bret Hart versus British Bulldog at SummerSlam. Bret Hart versus Owen Hart uh, at WrestleMania 10. There's a Bret Hart versus Hakushi match that's on there. And the one WCW match that's there in full, Bret Hart versus Chris Benoit. At no point in this DVD is the Patriot even mentioned. <laughs> Hey, Brett, you got nine hours to fill. Do you want to put one of your matches with Patriot? Nah. I'll pass. I'll, I'll be good. I'll be good. Put one of me and Hakushi on there. <laughs> yeah, they, to be fair, Brett gets a pretty good match out of Patriot. It's not amazing. I wouldn't put it on you know anyone's best of, maybe nah. best of the Patriot. But what <laughs> I found interesting, the post-match. So Brett, being a heel, beats up Patriot. He pile drives mm-hmm. him. Then he checks him with the flag. Yeah, I was going to say he gets Patriot's American flag, snaps it over his knee, and then chokes Patriot for it with it. My problem here is that Bret Hart has said, Oh, my problem with Shawn Michaels, he took things too far. I didn't like how he put the Canadian flag up his nose and wiped his ass with it. That was really disrespectful. That was months after this, and here Bret's snapping the American flag and choking a guy with it. He can't have the choking a guy. Choking a guy that is basically wearing an American flag. <laughs> He's choking a flag with the flag. Like, come <laughs> on, man. You can't, yeah, you can't have it both ways, Brett. So th- this we then lead to another weird bit of post-match thing. So there's a there's a um there's a a weird comment about the Vietnam War from <laughs> Jerry Lawler. Did you notice this one? King's like, oh, you know, sometimes America will go to battle and they lose. He's like, just like Vietnam, they went to war there and lost. And, and Vince's Vince face <laughs> turns to him and he's like, I wrote Vince is flabbergasted. He was like, okay, don't say like that. Vince just looks as much as like, we need to end this segment right now. And Jerry Lawler's like, remember Vietnam? Yeah, Vietnam, Vince. Vietnam. <laughs> so bizarre. And then that also leads to another little weird segment about Bulldog and Brett paying out America, talking about how like, oh, the UK fans are so much better and Canada Canadian fans and Maybe it's the setup one night only, which is coming up very yeah. shortly. But uh, yeah, it's it's an it's an odd little exchange. But uh, we get to our main event. This one, it seems like maybe the, when Todd Pettingill left, they're trying to figure out who's going to do a VO yeah. because everyone's <laughs> getting a go. Yeah, this one's JR. We had Vince, we had Michael Cole, now JR. This one was good though. It was cinematic, focusing on all the Undertaker's dramas with getting burnt by Paul Bearer and then learning about Kane. And now mm-hmm. he's got all this stuff to deal with and he got screwed at SummerSlam. Now he's lost the title. We see a promo, a sit-down promo. We've seen them, you know, from Mick Foley and Goldust where people are, quote, unquote, you know, being real. We see The Undertaker mm-hmm. speaking with closer to his natural speaking voice, maybe the first time, whereas, like, you know, people relate to me because I stand up for what I believe in. It was really yeah. weird. And he had dead straight hair. Real goth, so like in a in a real like emo way. So odd, yeah, because it did look like you know he was. It was almost like a, a, a sit down that Marilyn Manson would do with like <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. behind the music uh, back from MTV in two thousands. But yeah, it's such a strange little thing. 
because they really sort of sell the like and HBK, he is just dialed. Like it's funny because last year when we were doing Reliving the War, HBK is a real fan favorite. He's the baby face. He's kissing babies. He's hugging, you know, grandmas, all that sort of stuff. He's just a real a-hole. Like it <laughs> dials it up so much to, I guess, what is the real Sean in this time. This is the Shawn Michaels we should have got through his face run, though. There should have mm. been the attitude should have been there because that's why people loved him in the first place. Seeing him go full 97 Shawn Michaels at this point, like the you know, 97 Shawn Michaels that people talk about, you see why that was such an interesting time in his career and life because he's just going for it. We see him teaming up with Triple H for the first time as well. Yeah, um, in yeah. their tag match and then sort of running together. And we also see Rick Rude, who was part of DX, the original lineup. He's sort of forgotten now that he was the insurance policy of Triple H yes. and Shawn Michaels. So that's how they tied together. He was sort of the thing that associated them because why would Shawn Michaels and Triple H hang out? And yeah, that was Correct. a common yeah. thread. Um, Rick Rude also sadly passed away just like two years later, if I recall correctly. 99 is when Rick Rude passed away. Um, and it's a dramatic change from the Rick Rude that we, we're so accustomed to, you know, with the painted on uh, tights and things like that. Uh, him looking all corporate as of the insurance policy was actually pretty cool because he looks really badass. Oh, man, um, he but- looks he looks like a, a video game bad guy, this giant yeah. jacked guy with a mustache and he's in a suit with a briefcase. Like, the original DX was a really interesting faction. You had Shawn Michaels and Triple H, two wrestler-looking wrestlers, long blonde hair, pretty boys, good shape. Then you've got the female bodyguard, China, and then China. you've got Rick Rude, their insurance policy, who was an ex-wrestler, but... He's still in shape. Like it was a kind of a cool faction. Very, very cool there. But we'll get to the match because I've just my first note is HBK being a cowardly heel is never, never going to get old. I don't care what era it is. Him being a cowardly heel is just money. He does it so well. And Undertaker just Undertaker's no BS attitude just coming out, just takes out the the ref before the match even starts. It's it's a fantastic start before the bell even rings. Well, be, before the bell rings, though, I do want to talk about Shawn Michaels' entrance here because we see him do a quick promo in the back. It's only like 30 seconds. It's good. It's just him being, you know, a, it's a piece douchebag. of camera, too. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's no, there's no other announcer with him. So he, Vince is addressing him, but then because Vince isn't there, Vince is still at the commentary desk. Sean basically has to run the entire promo on his own, just piece the camera. Yeah, he just yells at the camera and then leaves. But during his entrance, he does like a dance on the stage and a taunt that would end up in some of the video games. It was like a weird head movement. It was the taunt in like WrestleMania 2000. 2000. Yeah, (laughs) I thought that was good. And then also he's being so obnoxious he spits at the crowd and then someone in the crowd throws something at him. So this is just Shawn Michaels not caring at all. Then he mm-hmm. gets in the ring to do the Shawn Michaels pose with the pyro and the pyro goes off late and Shawn just looks at the camera, gives a funny face and does like a, a wanky yeah. motion. It's- yeah. So before the match even starts, Shawn Michaels, this is a different Shawn Michaels than we've been watching. And like you said, the match starts with Taker taking out a ref and Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker's chemistry was there from the start. It, it's too perfect. The stoic take no BS taker, like you said, the obnoxious heel Shawn Michaels, and then their chemistry physically. Every move looks almost oh, like this was an animation in the game. Everything is perfect. It's really weird. 
so crisp and it, and the, the cool thing too is it actually has like natural crescendos like there are bits where taker just dominates sean it looks like he's almost at the verge like sean is ragdolling like hell mm. then he he finds a way to cheat come back and then he gets the upper hand on taker but he does it smartly like when he takes out taker's knee uh from behind as well so he fits his mold it's just so perfect it's also quite brutal too because there is there's a great match there's a great bit in this match where so Taker is just dishing out the punishment here, but Hebner gets a, a chair to the head. It's crazy. Oh, the amount of ref bumps in this match, though. So basically the theme of the match, these guys are so crazy, they will take out every ref who gets in the way. It's more of a brawl than a match. They go up to the, the ramp and to the house. Shawn Michaels tries opening the front door. The to door, yes. He gets thrown in the garden. Undertaker press slams him on the ramp. Like they are just doing all sorts of crazy stuff. The Undertaker punches Sean in the head on the top of the ramp and Sean rolls about six times all the way down to the Mm. ring. The match is ridiculous. And then, yeah, every ref who runs out, it's like a a who's who of refs of the 90s and they all get a spot. I forget which one. I think it was Mike Kyoto. Undertaker presses him from inside of the ring and throws him on Sean, who's on the outside of the ring. Mm. Like, insane. It, it, and, it, and the crowd is literally, there's not a moment where they sit on their hands. Everything is just from go to war here. Um, another nice little touch that I thought, and it kind of shows those, it's these little things, like when Sean uses two elbow drops to try and stop Undertaker, is because he, he realizes, like, I'm going to need to pull a little bit more out of the tank here. Rick Rude throwing the brass knucks uh, as he comes out. And then the the fact that Triple H and China bring out the other ref. Yeah. There's so much, there's so many moving parts, but everything works so well in, in um sequence. Even the brutal, there's a brutal bit too where Undertaker gets choked by the mic cord and Triple H takes him out. Yeah, Triple H and Shawn Michaels beat up The Undertaker on the outside. That was a good spot because they were choking The Undertaker and beating him up. They were so close to the crowd, the crowd started talking trash. We see Triple H for the first time do the crotch chop because Shawn did it on the way to the ring. Triple H does it, and the guy in the crowd is so angry at him. You hear the mic pick it up a little bit, but this guy is just cussing him out, calling him every (laughs) word you can think of. So it's really good. Great heel stuff. The crowd was so angry at what would be DX beating up The Undertaker. Mm. Undertaker takes out Hebner again and <laughs> Bedlam just absolutely just just takes on afterwards. Is it Tim White that runs out and does the DQ? Yeah, Tim White is the one who finally throws it out because at one stage just before that, so Shawn Michaels used the knucks that were brought in by Rick Rude, then he stuffs them oh, down yes. his pants. Then at one point he's lying across the top turnbuckle and the Undertaker reaches into Sean's pants and pulls out the knucks. He uses them. And then, yeah, the ref comes out and, and throws the match out. But when he pulls out the knucks from Sean's pants, they were like in front of the commentary table. So obviously the commentators should have seen it. But Vince says, I think he pulled out the ring that was in Sean's the belly, belly button. button. Ring. It's like, no, yeah. he didn't. Why would he do that? And then, and then but to, to King's point, he does jump in very quickly and go like this, just goes, no, 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 that's the brass knucks. <laughs> yeah. He almost basically, he, he, he's he's just stopping himself short of calling Vince an idiot. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, no, it's the brass knucks. Yeah, it's <laughs> under his breath. But, and the, the finish to this, so it's a it's a DQ, obviously, but um, it's an awesome finish because then it's Taker 
fighting off DX, mm. or what would be DX. And then the locker room comes out to stop Undertaker and Triple H. And so it's both bear in mind too, Triple H is still Hunter Hearst Helmsley here. Like he's still in Hunter Hearst Helmsley sort of attire. He's not quite Triple H, but he's very, very lean. He's like 80% Triple H here. And they hightail it out of there. But before they get there, the entire locker room comes out to stop Taker. And Taker's having not a bar for it. He then leaps. He sort of breaks away from the pack. Everyone's out. Like, Rocky Maivia's out. It's so weird seeing the rock in sandals. In sandals and a striped shirt. Looks like he was going <laughs> to a beach party or something. <laughs> he was dressed like um, like Kevin Nash was at those spring break WCW <laughs> yes. Nitros. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Taker then does this awesome top rope sort of plancher off the, t- like, over, like, you know, those little suicide dive that he does where he just dives, completely clears the ropes. Was that the it's first so well time done. he's done it? I thought it was because I feel like that's the first time he's done the big Undertaker dive. I reckon he's done it before because remember, there's a, there's, like, it's one of the pay views maybe a couple ago. Actually, no, not the running because there's one where, he, you know, he's walking on the top rope. And instead of going into, it's the nation one. It's the one where he takes on Farouk. Oh, did he jump? But he, but he, no, no, no. But he doesn't do the run and jump because he goes rather than take out Farouk in the ring, he turns around and then jumps from the top turnbuckle onto the crowd. That's right. Onto Onto the the nation, nation. yeah, yeah. Because he was gonna do old school, and then he changed his mind. He's like, psych, and he jumps outside. Yeah, yeah. But no, this is the first one. I reckon you're right. Where he does the the run and jump, oh, like completely clear the ropes. Like yeah, he, it's insane. I think a this guy is that the, size. The first time I remember him doing it because I remember renting this videotape, not mm. watching the main event. Like I didn't get to finish it, and then asking my grandpa the next day, like, "Oh, was the main event good?" Because he would watch him too, and he was like, mm. "Oh, this main event was crazy." He's like, "You know, this match." He's like, "You can't believe what the Undertaker does," and I remember seeing it and thinking, "Oh my god." You don't see I, big guys do dives back then. And I think, too, because that was the first time it was done, it was the one that was constantly reused in the yeah. highlights packages. So that's probably why it, it gets a bit muddy because it's like, when did he do that? Because you see <laughs> yeah. that in the lead up to like yeah. Every all, these, all of these pay-per-views. But uh, this is just a phenomenal match. And you don't often sort of say that with a, with a schmoz finish. I don't think it even mattered. Like, I know we know where it goes, so that probably changes it. But even as a standalone thing... It's so unique. It feels more like, you know, a brawl than a match. It's different. WWE didn't do much of this yet. Very, very cool. I loved it. Stellar, stellar stuff too. And that brings, it it comes to the end of the pay-per-view. Undertaker stands tall, which is a cool little way to finish things because HBK and DX have already, they've hightailed it. And it's Taker in the ring on his own. Locker room's dispersed. It's It's such a good little visual. And then that's it. Vince also says for the final time, thanks for joining us. This has been our first three-hour uh, pay-per-view. We'll see you next time. <laughs> That's it. It's so cool. But um, this leads to a couple of like little things. So we'll get to we'll get to um like who we think our MVP and stuff is. But we we often sort of mention like sometimes, especially doing a WCW pay-per-view, the three-hour ones, stuff seems to drag on and on and on. This pay-per-view is so well loaded. In the sense that, like, you know, yes, we had to go through Scott Putsky versus Brian Christopher and, you know, um, the triple threat of Savio Vega, Crush, and Farouk. But by the time you get to the main event, you completely forget about all those. Yeah, and this is the old thing, you know, a, a good main event saves a bad show, bad main event ruins a good show. And I think that 
WWE, whatever, at in this time, 96, 97, even if Nitro was winning the ratings, the main event scene of the WWE in terms of match quality couldn't be touched by WCW. And we enjoy most of the WCW main events, yeah. but we yeah. have to enjoy them in a vacuum and for what they are. We're like, yeah, Hogan's old and it's all shtick, but it's fun. Yeah, Luger mm. can't really do much, but he's over and entertaining. You contrast that. If you're looking just as a match, no one in WCW <laughs> can touch Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. Their chemistry, it, it's like, oh, this is what a main event should be. You know, two guys in their prime just killing it. It's also, so this is also another strange one too, because the, the Bret Hart is the WWF champion at the time, but it, he's clearly a bit player. The main story, like, like if we're looking at the hierarchy of, um, you know, what's what's important on the WWF 97 totem pole. Mm. Undertaker and, and HBK, they're clearly the, the sort of the main course. The uh, the entree is clearly the build-up of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Bret Hart, he's the free bread at the start. Sorry, yeah. but it's, it's true. He's so good in this run, but at the same time, he's only a placeholder to get to Steve Austin. And I'm sure they were thinking Shawn Michaels is hanging around. But yeah, the, he's not part of their plans because even at like not even at the time he is, Bret Hart is ten years older than Shawn Michaels. You know, mm. by this point, I, I know he's still like pretty good, but it was time to move on in their eyes. You know, yeah. Bret wasn't the man anymore. It's a new era. And it and we we said this when we watched the Royal Rumble, uh, and it, it's so interesting to see how quickly like Bret goes from the last guy, uh, the final two in the Royal Rumble. To almost being an absolute nobody uh, towards this end of the year, like it, he's not even the main event. He's up against he, the Patriots. He's the champion, though. <laughs> he's the champion. Yeah, I, I will give him that. But he's almost a lame duck champion. Like you don't really care too much. Yeah. He look. I, I think his '97 run is fantastic. But when you're watching, oh, don't it, get me wrong. Yeah. When we're watching it month by month, in terms of where his standing is in the company and knowing where he ends up, they were definitely trying to hint to him. <laughs> We're giving you the belt, but that's only because everyone else, you know, Sean got injured at the start of the year and then, you know. Ooh. And you're a good hand too. You <laughs> yeah, are a obviously, good Obviously, you're Bret Hart, but yeah, they're moving on. And, and I will say one thing, even though the SummerSlam main event was good with Undertaker and Bret Hart, we both made note that it was weird that Bret was in control for so much of it and like beating up the Undertaker. Mm. Contrast that with the way Shawn Michaels has a match with the Undertaker. He gets beat up. He does all the bumping and only makes comebacks when he can, when he kicks him in the leg, when he cheats. But he's flying around. He's jumping off the turnbuckles. He's doing that dumb spot where take a football, kicks him, and he lands on his crotch (laughs) on the top (laughs) rope. Like he, No one makes The Undertaker look better than Shawn Michaels because he sells everything like a cartoon for him, and it's amazing. Mm. So if you want to put Brett and Shawn against each other in this era, I think you saw it there, what Sean gave The Undertaker compared to what Brett did. Yeah, spot on there. But um, So let's let's quickly run through the MVPs because this is, this is actually going to be a bit of a tough one um, because, funnily enough, I can't really split the two here, but in ter- I'm gonna, I, my heart sort of says go with Austin because he's a big thread through this pay-per-view, but he doesn't wrestle, so that kind of goes against what the point of an MVP is because he he's still the the best thing on this card. Like he's clearly mm. the favorite here, but at the same time, it's Shawn Michaels. Like Shawn Michaels 
he's streets ahead, but he but the first half of the pay per view is basically saved by by Steve. So I'm going to have 50 50 here and say it's it's a it's a mix of um, Austin and HBK. I was thinking the same thing. Shawn Michaels on this pay per view, like seeing the fully formed douchebag heel 97 Sean is great the entrance his reaction to everything he's selling you know the match itself it's so fun Sean Michaels is on fire but yeah I was thinking the same thing it might be Austin because Mm. he saves that middle part of the show that segment with Slaughter is so fun and then him running out in the fatal four-way gets a giant reaction it's a tough one you know what let's break the rules for WCW, Mean Gene has been our MVP before. Maybe for the WWE, we'll give it to a non-wrestler. Another bold guy who just talked on the show <laughs> killed it. Yeah, there you go. Austin definitely gets the win. But yeah, because look, Sean delivered in the ring, but this entire, like, take away the Austin segments, the paper is not as good as it would be. No, yeah. Because it's very top, like it's very top heavy towards the back end with the sh- with the Taker and uh, HBK match. Like that's but a part really saves Ground Zero. <laughs> yeah, and and really Austin was on the show three times, so we can give it to him even if he didn't wrestle. Yeah, yeah. So uh, look, that was a stellar effort there from um from the WWF for their first three hour pay per view. I will leave you with one more question before we wrap things up here. Did it feel like there are times when you watch a WCW pay-per-view and it feels like it drags. I didn't sort of feel that every match sort of seemed to be paced just perfectly, I thought. Yeah, I I think we've said that before. I think we've both been shocked at how even if the match quality isn't great by whatever standards you want, the WWE Mm. shows just go by quicker. There's something about it. I don't know what they do in this era, but it didn't, it never fully drags. There's always something to keep your attention. And, and it's so strange too, because like we, we've often sort of said, Oh, well it's because in your house only goes for two hours. Like it just sort of flies by, but yes, there was some matches that probably shouldn't have been on this card, but this, this paper did seem like it flew by and maybe it is because you, you've got that, the little segments that sort of link everything, like your stone cold bits, the backstages, there's always something that does keep your attention. You're spot on there. Mm, Yeah. Look, I thought it was an okay show. It was still entertaining. And I think, you know, between Steve Austin, between Bret Hart carrying the Patriot and the fun main (laughs) event, you might as well watch it. And even Pillman and Goldust, like there's still enough fun, crazy stuff happening. We're definitely in the attitude era. We had an indecent proposal match. We had a triple threat. We had a fatal four-way and we had a wild brawl for the main event. Like, this is it. Yeah. And so I'd give this one a, a thumbs up. You're not going to be disappointed by watching this pay for you. Well, maybe get to the, the bit. Start from where Austin starts and then go towards the end because then it's yeah. a pretty good pay for you. But, um, yeah, look, that wraps up another edition of Reliving the War. Next up, we're going to be joined by our buddy Owen a.k.a. Digital Beard, to talk all things Fall Brawl 1997. War Games is back. And sorry if you're expecting the Nasty Boys and and High Voltage to be a part of it, like in the commercial. Don't think they're even on the card. No, I think we're going to get more NWO and WCW. This one is a big one for WCW. If I remember correctly, this is a, a good, big, eventful War Games match. Very much so. I think NWO and the Horsemen, I think it is. Yeah. Very, very cool. So we'll do that uh, next time on Reliving the War and a special double header when it comes to the WWF because they've got one night only, their UK pay-per-view 
Um, that's coming up. And then it is bad blood. So there is a lot of good stuff in the pipeline. But uh, Simon, we got a lot of wrestling to watch before Halloween. Oh, we do a lot of studying to do, but these are these are the fun shows. This these is are the good in ones, the absolute thick of it. I think we've we got through it. We got through '96. We are in late '97, <laughs> and my god, like the eventful things that happen at Fall Brawl, One Night Only, and Bad Blood. Like that is it. We are in it now, so it's good. I'm glad we're here. Yeah, and uh, so make sure you do check us out on the social media platforms at Grey Wolf ENT if you want to find out what's going on in the world of Grey Wolf Entertainment. There's more than just wrestling there too, so keep your eye on the socials if you like basketball, a bit of nostalgia, and even some NFL there too. But uh, on behalf of Simon, I've been Nims Azor. It's been a great to have your company. We'll see you next time for Fall Brawl 1997. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.